GDPR, or the General Data Protection Regulation, to give it its full title, is causing a lot of people a lot of headaches. But there's a very good reason for that. We've got, you know, a lot of information at the tip of our fingers. We need to make sure that we're looking after that data properly and we're using it properly as well. GDPR is really about protecting us as individuals. So from a marketing and business perspective, it seems like an absolute headache. But if we consider it as individuals, you know, if, if you think about sort of the amount of spam emails that we get and telephone calls, you know, have you had an accident in the last two years? So should we be worried? A lot of small businesses are really sort of panicking about, you know, the ICO is going to get on the case and they're going to be in trouble if they're not meeting everything. If you can demonstrate that you've you've thought about this, the ICO knows businesses haven't got the resources to be paying for a GDPR specialist to be in their business to make sure they're ticking every single box. Katrina Cliff runs KC Communications, a full service marketing agency. Her advice is fairly straightforward. It's just about making sure that we're, we're working ethically. Take care of the data that you're looking at. Think about how you're using it. You know, I know we're all reluctant to delete data that we've got, you know, that we've, we've obtained because we see that as really precious. But actually, if we don't need it and it's not adding value to your business, get rid of it. Coming up, your questions about GDPR answered. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Welcome to the show today, Katrina. It's really good to have you here um, talking about what is a pretty big issue, actually. A lot of of questions in this area. I've got loads of questions to ask you about GDPR, but do you want to start by just explaining a bit about the work that you've been doing in this area? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Paul. So I run a marketing consultancy and we work with various uh, businesses across a variety of different sectors, um, looking after different types of data. So it's really important that we are really on top of it when it comes to GDPR, not just from our own point of view and our own data and, and how we're marketing to potential customers, but how we're using our clients' data as well. So it, it's something that we got involved with exploring quite early on um, when GDPR was first being mooted Um, and you know I've I've myself have been on a number of CIM training courses where I've invested quite heavily in in the Sats Chartered Institute of Marketing um, along with various other um, training opportunities that are out there and there's there's absolutely loads and you know what I'm going to be talking about today is GDPR from a marketing point of view there are other areas to to sort of consider which I'm certainly not an expert in such as as IT and security um, but they will sort of crop up as as we're talking today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to start with, what are the real basics of complying with GDPR from a a communications person's perspective? Well, to me, GDPR is really about ethics and, and how you operate your business. But, you know, the real basic is is going onto the ICO website, you know, the amount of people that I speak to that are panicking about GDPR but they're just reading sort of various blogs and everything else. They're not kind of going back to basics and going to the ICO, which is the Information Commissioner's Office. 
and finding out the information that they need from there. And that actually has a real wealth of information on there. You know, there's a, there's a checklist so you can go through it. It asks you questions about how you're using data and what purposes that you're using it for, how you store it. And that will give you advice on the steps that you need to put into place to start becoming GDPR compliant. And, you know, alongside this, the ICO are actually really helpful. They've got, you know, online chat functions. You can give them a call. You know, I've, I've done it where I've, I've had a question about something. In fact, one of the things that's probably going to come up um, around how you can communicate with people that are already on your database. And we just did that over just, you know, a, a chat window and it was quick. It was easy. It gave me the information that I needed. Um, so definitely don't rule out speaking with them. No, that's fantastic. That's, that's a really good resource. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what you said there about how are you using data, what the purpose of that data is, and how you store data, are they the three core areas that people should be paying attention to? Yeah. So one of the first things that you need to do is is a data audit. So what what data have you got stored within your business about your customers, clients, suppliers, and so on? And how is that data held? What does that data entail? You know, is it email addresses, telephone numbers? Do you have personal information such as date of births, um, home addresses, that kind of stuff? understand that and then understand how you've got it stored so is it somewhere in the cloud is it just on your desktop or on a folder somewhere how are you then sharing that information with third parties so are you sending an excel document via email to somebody else from there you can start then to identify the potential risks about data either getting hacked into, sent to the wrong person. You know, we've all done the accidentally typing in the wrong email address and and hitting send and then the embarrassing, you know, please ignore that email and, and delete yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. You know, GDPR is really about protecting us as individuals. So from a marketing and business perspective, it seems like an absolute headache. But if we consider it as individuals, you know, if, if you think about sort of the amount of spam emails that we get and telephone calls, you know, have you had an accident in the last two years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so even your information being obtained through organizations, you know, even Experian got hacked, um, Yahoo have been hacked. So it's really about protecting us and our information as individuals so as as businesses we really and this comes back to the ethics point you know we've got you know a lot of information at the tip of our fingers we need to make sure that we're looking after that data properly and we're using it properly as well okay well i've got lots of questions that people have asked me in my membership community the digital download membership community from a facebook group that i'm a member of and just within my social network so let's dig into some of that because i think that will probably uncover a lot more of the the detail around this the first group of questions i've been asked is around legacy data one of the questions is if if i've got a database of several thousand engaged subscribers but i can't prove that they were subscribed in accordance with GDPR. Is it necessary that I have to then go back to those people to, to get them to resubscribe? There's two different answers to this. So I'm going to answer with the simple one, first of all. So if you are a business and you are marketing to other businesses, then they will fall under the opt-out rule and, and also legitimate interest. So if they are people, well, businesses that have a legitimate interest in, in what you have to offer. So let's say you're a recruitment agency 
and you are marketing to a number of businesses, ultimately, they've got a legitimate interest in the service that you have to offer because they employ staff. As another business, that you don't have to get explicit interest and opt-in for you to market to them. Okay. You just have to give them the opportunity to opt out of receiving further communication. Now, if those subscribers are individuals, so let's say you're an online retailer, this is where it gets a little bit difficult because the data that you're holding on someone is their personal data. You know, you, you're likely to have their personal email address, their contact telephone numbers and their home delivery addresses. Yep. So this is where it gets a little bit murky. And if you can't prove that they're subscribed in accordance with GDPR, then ultimately what the ICO says is that you shouldn't then use that data moving forward. Okay. And also, if you can't prove that you've, you've obtained their information under sort of current data protection regulation rules, you can send them an email or contact them asking them to, to resubscribe. So I think between now and May is really about businesses thinking about, right, what can they do that encourages people to, to, sign, to sign up to receive communications? And that's just not you know using the existing sign up forms that they've got or you know not just doing if someone phones them up or inquires they automatically add them to the database start getting gdpr compliant now so that if you do have to scrap a number of the subscribers that you've got you've started to fill that up already now that particular question is a little bit difficult because they've said that they've got a number of engaged subscribers how can they actually prove that they are engaged? So, you know, th this is, is something that can then maybe come to legitimate interest. So if they've got proof that those subscribers are engaged and they're responding to, to those communications that are going out, that could be enough to demonstrate they are interested in receiving communication from you. Okay. And, and when we talk about engaged subscriber there... I mean, my assumption would be that the person who's asked this question is talking about people who are either opening the emails or responding to them in, in some way. Is there a difference between opening an email and actually taking action on that email? I think opening an email doesn't really mean much. Um, you know, if, if you think about the amount of emails that you might receive, you might just be scrolling through that and it, and it could be that that then gets tracked as being opened. Um, but if someone's actually going into it and then clicking on links, and there are, you know, there are good email tools out there that will give you that information about how many links have been clicked on and who's clicked on them. Mm -hmm. Start then getting your data list from there. But as well, you know, with communication that you might be sending out, actually think about can you encourage that person to almost resubscribe but not asking them to resubscribe? So let's say you've got a special offer or you've got a white paper or something like that taking them through the steps of almost resubscribing again, but then asking them if they're happy to receive other communication from you. And then you get in that list moving forward. So it's a little roundabout way of doing it, but it's still currently within the rules that, that are allowed to help you ultimately keep that subscriber list as a list that you can use. 
Sure. Okay. What well, one of the other questions related to that was about whether organisations have to show a good reason to actually just hold data for more than a couple of years because. I know there's a bit of confusion about this, whether, say I'm holding a database, let's say it's a B2B database, because that simplifies yep. it. Uh, and I'm holding a database of email addresses, but I haven't done an email campaign for a year or two years. Are there any new regulations that mean if I haven't used that data, I should be getting rid of it? Ultimately, with it being a B2B list, then that again falls under the legitimate interest rule when it comes to lawful processing so you've got no there's no real rule around having to get rid of that data you've obviously just got to consider is that is that data you know valuable are you going to get any return on investment from engaging with with that data again and you know we we use a crm system to host all our data and kind of one of the things that i had the query on was you know what what is a, a good length of time to keep someone's information because as a business you know we we might go out meet you know meet a business discuss an opportunity and then nothing might happen with that opportunity but we've got a record of that you know conversation having taken place you know having sent email campaigns out to them so it's for for us it's a useful tool but again because we are a b2b organization there isn't really any rules on keeping that information for a, a a certain length of time you find from that point of view again it it comes back to the if you're using someone's personal information you know if that person hasn't shopped with you for you know over three years and let's say it's um, a clothing brand it's unlikely that you should keep that information whereas if you're a white goods retailer you know if you think about how often someone might buy a washing machine or a vacuum cleaner the length of time between that purchase is going to be much longer and therefore you would keep their information for a a much longer period of time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's all to do with the context of why you're holding the data and what you're holding it for at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you, you know, I think a a lot of small businesses are are really sort of panicking about, you know, the ICO is going to get on the case and uh, they're going to be in trouble if they can't. You know, they're not they're not meeting everything. But I think if if people can demonstrate that they've thought about this and you know, they've thought, right, what what do we do as a business? What are we selling? What's the sort of reasonable lapse in sort of communication? And, you know, if it gets past that point, that's when we start stripping them them out. If you can demonstrate that you've, you've thought about this, and it, it might be that you just put together, a, you know, a small GDPR document around all this so that if, if the ICO did come knocking, then you can say, well, this is what we've we've got in place. This is what we've con- we've considered, you know. As, and as a small business, the ICO knows, pe- you know, businesses haven't got the resources to be paying for a GDPR specialist to be in their business to make sure they're ticking every single box. So they're not going to come down quite as as heavily as they would for the Amazons of this world. Um, but it's it's really important that you you do think about this and you do document how you've you've considered all these. Uh, Um, these issues. I think that's a really valuable point, actually, because like you say, even if you're not doing things 100% correctly, if you can prove that you are trying and you've got reasons for the way you're doing things, at least that can help should the worst happen. Definitely, because you're not, you know, it's not like you've just 
stuck your head in the sand and you've ignored right. it or you've just you just trying to act outside of the you know the confines of the law it demonstrates that you've thought about yeah you might not get it a hundred percent right but if you can evidence that you you're thinking about it and you're trying to put measures in place to become as compliant as you know as compliant as you possibly can then that is really going to help you out should something arise in the future Okay. Another question I had, which was from a public relations person, but I think applies to all B2B businesses, really. They said, what do they need to do if they have a list of journalists and bloggers that's been built in different ways? So some of it may have been bought from a media house, a media database. Mm -hmm. Some of it may have been added to from networking events, for example. And some of it may have been through ongoing communications, say clients or ex-clients. Does that all fall under legitimate interest or are there different elements of what is legitimate interest and what is not legitimate interest? Pretty much it will fall under the the area of, of legitimate interest. So ultimately, these journalists want to receive good quality news stories that they can publish. So that that is a legitimate interest. Now, where it gets a bit hazy is, you know, if you've got a journalist who works for a publication and therefore has an at publication.co.uk email, that's classed as business information. But where it gets a little bit murky is if it's a freelance journalist that might have a at Gmail or at Hotmail email address. I would argue because of the nature of what they're doing, you're not just communicating, you're not marketing to them as such. You you are marketing to them for yes. a business purpose. So I, I would say there that generally that would count as legitimate interest. Now, for a lot of um, agencies, like we, we do a lot of PR, we have a, um, a media database that we subscribe to and we could actually communicate to journalists via this platform as opposed to doing it via our, our email. And with this particular tool that we use, journalists are actually signing up to that tool to, to receive mm-hmm. information. So if, you know, if you're an agency, um, you know, I appreciate if you're a PR freelancer that can be quite um you know an an added cost but if you've got something like that that just takes that area of risk away because ultimately that journalist is signing up to receive that information um so they've opted in as it were but yes I, I would say that that counts as legitimate interest yeah okay related to that a bit as well someone else asked me as a PR person they hold data or have at least access to data that belongs to their clients where that data is held in the cloud what are their obligations about keeping that data secure Mm -hmm. so this is something that we've actively been going through ourselves uh, recently so one of the first steps that we we've taken on board as part of this process is actually looking at our IT systems secure so yes we've got things in the cloud but actually how easy might it be for someone to hack into our system or to get you know some sort of virus and and so on so we've taken measures to um, appoint a an IT company to support us. Mm-hmm. So all our laptops now have um, the most up-to-date virus scanners on there. We've got encryption on there. So, you know, if someone was to leave the laptop on a train or it got stolen or anything else, we could then kind of shut down and remove all that information off that that computer. Where things are stored in the cloud, so we use Google Drive. 
organizations like that are, are having to demonstrate that they are GDPR compliant. You mean in that case, it's Google that's got to demonstrate that they're GDPR compliant? Yeah, but you need to make sure that you're using a tool that is GDPR compliant. So okay. if, let's say, Google weren't going through this process, you would need to look for alternative options. But Google are actively going through a process where they want to know who the data uh, controller and data processors are within the business. So who's responsible for looking after and ensuring GDPR compliance within that organization? They also inform you about what their obligations are from a GDPR perspective as to where that information is being hosted, how secure that hosting is. So again, that's one of the main things to consider. However, if it's clients' data, you need to really be helping to educate your clients if they're not going through it already on how they need to become GDPR compliant. Because the last thing that you want is a client then coming to you because a piece of data might have disappeared or something's happened to it if they've not put the measures in place. So, you know, things like if you've got some secure information in, in a document, is it password protected? So just additional things to make things more more secure, really. And again, coming back to that comment earlier about if you're sending uh, documents via email and you actually set, you know, put the wrong email address in and send it to someone, you know, at the moment it's it's rare that a lot of businesses actually password protect documents. But if you've got someone's personal information in there, let's say you're an accountancy practice, and that document goes to somebody else you know they, they could be seeing some information that they shouldn't really be seeing so even if it does go to them if you know if that document's password protected it's going to minimize that data getting into the wrong hands so that definitely needs to be considered but if you are an agency or a freelancer and you're working with with businesses you really need to be putting pressure on them and asking them about what are they doing about GDPR and what are their their expectations from you uh, from GDPR as well so like I said that that's why we've gone through the process of making sure our devices are in, encrypted um, you know I've even got encryption software on my phone so you know if I need to get I I can get into Google Drive on my phone I can get into Trello I can do all sorts of different things but it's added an extra layer of security into that so you know if I I was in a bar one night and I left my phone unlocked and someone managed to pick it up they can't get through to to that next sort of stage but again if the phone gets lost or stolen I can just wipe everything that's that's on there as well yeah, that's an interesting point. Is is I have to admit, not something that I'd even considered with with a mobile, but it makes total sense because you're right. If if you can get into my mobile, for example, then you can get into my entire business effectively. Exactly. So yeah. yes, a very important point. When you're talking about cloud systems, there like Google as as the example, or Dropbox, or anything else for that matter. Yeah. If I, as a business, store my data on Google Drive and I lock my phone or make sure my uh, laptop has a password on or or take those sort of steps. Does that then absolve any further responsibility from me? It's a bit of a difficult question, this one, because, you know, you're demonstrating that you've put all the measures into place to, to minimize any sort of risk. If you can demonstrate that you've got antivirus software in there, that you you password protecting files that contain certain information, that the 
you know, third-party software that you're using is GDPR compliant. So what people really need to be aware of is, is GDPR is a European thing. And regardless of Brexit, that still applies to the UK. Yes. But if you're using software that's maybe from India or America or Australia, they don't really fall under the confines of being within this GDPR law. Okay. However, if they want to make sure that they're still able to work with businesses in the European region, they've got to get on board with it. So what Google are doing for GDPR at the moment, they don't necessarily have to do for their users around the rest of the world, but they have to for people here. So, you know, if if you're using different types of software, just make sure are they acting upon their GDPR responsibilities? And if not, that's when you need to look at, at other options. And that, you know, that could even be your hosting provider, um, you know, especially if you're starting out website hosting for, for clients of yours. So just look at all your suppliers and the software that you use and, and what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it's a good idea for companies, and again, this applies more to business to business, I think, but probably both, to have some kind of GDPR statement on your website or in your contracts that outlines the steps that you have taken to potential customers and clients? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's it's something that demonstrates that you've got that added value. You know, it's something that we should all be doing. And, you know, what people shouldn't expect is that just because they're doing it, somebody else is, because there will be a lot of businesses that haven't even considered this yet and haven't even taken any steps to to become GDPR compliant. So I think, you know, where where you can demonstrate that you are actively undertaking this, then definitely do that. So we've, we've recently updated all our contracts to include a section on GDPR and where areas of responsibility lie. So, you know, it, it informs them as to what measures we've put in place to minimize any any risks and, uh, you know, when using their data. But it puts the onus on them that their data is ultimately their responsibility. They need to be almost asking us questions about how we're using certain data and, and what we're using it for. You know, we're, we're very confident that we're using it in all the right ways. But if something were to go wrong, they should be able to know at what step that that's happened as well. So if you're not doing it and you don't get it, don't put it there just because you think, oh, I should put this there because everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to understand it. It gets across why people should work with you over a competitor ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Another question then from... Uh, one of the members of my community said that often they have in the past been sent, say, a spreadsheet attached mm-hmm. to an email, uh, which might contain email addresses, for example. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people, I'm not one of these, but a lot of people don't like getting rid of emails because yeah. they think they're going to need them at some stage. Would you advise people, if they have got emails sat in their system with spreadsheets of data in, which are probably unpassword protected, let's face it, mm-hmm. to get rid of those emails? Um, I'm definitely one of these people that does keep information <laughs> and emails uh, yeah. just because, you know, we're working with so many different clients and, you know, if something was to to crop back up, I've got that kind of um, evidence trail of what's been requested and what we've had sent and so on. Yeah. However, what I do do periodically is I go into my inbox and my sent box and look at the um, emails by attachment and I do periodically clean those out. Yeah. However, 
you know, it comes back to sort of the earlier discussion we had around, you know, have you got relevant antivirus protection? Have you got encryption in place? Are you, you know, are you preventing data being accessed by people that shouldn't be accessing it? Um, you know, making sure that your passwords are strong and secure and that maybe you're changing them on a regular basis. But then ultimately, you know, starting from now, start password protecting those documents and think of better ways of working. Like we're really trying to move away from emailing uh, clients and suppliers attachments and we're, we're adding them in, onto our Google Drive yes. for yeah. their projects yeah. so that actually everything's stored there. So there's no sort of opportunity for it to be accidentally sent to the wrong person we're making sure that we're working off the most recent document so you know yeah you don't you don't have to get rid of those emails just now but make sure that you've put other measures in place to protect that data one final question then from uh, another community member this was uh, an example of a b2b company which has a partnership a working partnership with a separate organization And because of this partnership, one of those companies has passed some data to another company so that the second company can keep the first organization's people up to date, keep them in the loop with what's happening. Yeah. Does that arrangement count as legitimate interest or is it a bit too vague? I think it's a little bit vague that and uh, it's something that worries me um a little bit if you know if 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 i had someone's data and i needed to pass it on to another company i'd be really concerned about who which company is receiving my data and why why they need it you know what what what's the reasons that they actually need that whereas we've got a client event that we're organizing tomorrow they have obtained all the signups via Eventbrite for who's attending. They've then requested that we um, sort out the uh, delegate badges for that event. So they've forwarded that data on to us so that we can sort out the, the delegate badges, print them out. And that's why we're receiving that information. We're not then going to receive that information to do anything further with that. So it's it's what you're going to be doing and it's who it's being sent to. Now, if you're a B2B company, let's say you're an events company, because this is when I tend to see these, and you're registering to, to attend an exhibition, you usually see a tick box on there that's, please tick here to allow us to, to share your details with carefully selected yep. third parties. Who are those third parties? you've absolutely no idea and you might you know that might be part of the requirement of you being able to sign up to that event and then the next minute you start getting emails from all sorts of different organizations that you've no idea how they've obtained your information that is going to stop under GDPR so if you you know you are requesting to share information with third parties you are going to have to list out who those third parties are or at the very least the types of organizations that those third parties operate in so again it really comes down to what sort of organization it is what you're doing with that information if i was a a client of that b2b company that was passing on email data i'd be really reluctant to work with that initial organization but again it's quite a fair question i don't know what this keeping people informed is you know if, if it was if they were an accountant, they might have to pass information on to like a regulatory authority or the HMRC or something like that. That's when it's that falls under sort of a different area and it's um, 
it's a requirement you know it's a legal statutory requirement yeah i think it's a, it's actually a very good example of the gray areas that do exist and why there's a lot of confusion perhaps out there around this issue definitely because like you say a lot of the questions that we've talked about some of them have a basic yes no answer but a lot of them the answer is it depends yeah and that seems to be the case of why a lot of people are getting uh, confused around it, really. Yeah. So going back to kind of something we talked at the very start, if people take away anything from, from this discussion, it's really about thinking about how you're using your data. So what are you using it for? How you're storing that data? Is it securely stored in a GDPR compliant system? Do you have things like passwords and encryption on it? And also whether you really need to have that data. If you're thinking about those core areas, yeah. then the likelihood is probably that you're going to be safe as long as you're doing things in the right way according to those. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely agree. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot of noise out there about GDPR at the moment. But I think, you know, if, if people just take a step back and and go to the, like I say, go to the ICO in the first instance and really get your head around what it is that they're looking for and what they expect from an organization like yours, that's really going to help you take those next step forwards. And like I said, they've got an online questionnaire that gives you a checklist of what you need to start looking at afterwards. There's a lot of people that are, are overcomplicating it. And really, you know, this this is GDPR is nothing new. It's it's ultimately an evolution of the Data Protection Act, which yeah. has been in place for over 20 years. If you think about the way technology has exploded in in last 10, 15 years. It's just about making sure that we're we're working ethically. And I know I keep coming back to sort of this ethical working, but you know, take care of the data that you're looking at. Think about how you're using it. You know, I know we're all reluctant to delete data that we've got, you know, that we've yeah. we've obtained because we see that as really precious. But actually, if we don't need it and it's not adding value to your business, get rid yeah. of it you know and, and focus on what is working so yeah it's it doesn't need to be a headache don't don't get yourself in a tiz um go to the ico and and take it from there yeah fantastic okay well that's been really interesting talking to you i think it's it's certainly cleared up things for me and i hope that people listening to this can go away with a clearer idea of what they need to do so thank you very much for your time i very much appreciate it no worries it. thank you paul where can people find you online if they would like to contact you a bit further um so i'm on twitter which is just at katrina cliff um linkedin i'm on there as well katrina cliff um but then there's the the business um at kccoms um, and then kccoms.co.uk. There's a couple of blogs around GDPR um, from a marketing perspective on there as well. Excellent. Thanks again. No worries. Thanks, Paul. If you've enjoyed today's show, you should check out Digital Download Live, the interactive digital marketing conference for PR, comms and digital media professionals. It's happening on the 26th of April in London, and we'll be covering many of the topics addressed in this podcast, including developments in influence marketing, artificial intelligence, Facebook marketing, messaging, and voice recognition. You can find more information and book tickets at digitaldownload.training. And you can contact me on Twitter, where I'm at the Paul Sutton, or by email at paul at paulsutton.co. Thanks for listening.